Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And more fun times in technology. The, um, of course, we had the, the big controversy there at the uh, Saudi embassy in Turkey, and they said that this particular um, killing was recorded with an Apple Watch. Really? Actually, that's quite impossible. And we're going to talk about why that no kidding. why that claim just does not make any sense. And we're going to talk about a bit about the idea of the week. The, we had the hurricane damage due to uh, for our last uh, last hurricane down there, Michael. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that NOAA posts aerial photos to as far as damage assessment. And now they post them online, so people can go on and look up their own uh, their own uh, their own property to see how it's doing. That's a pretty good idea. We'll talk a bit about that. Uh, finally, um, Apple is letting users download all their data. They're following the the same guidelines as um, as Facebook and Google, and so people can see what kind of information they have on them. And Microsoft continues to change its colors. You know, it used to be this totally proprietary software company, the evil company, as they said, and it's Mm -hmm. just turned a a new leaf, and now it is fully supportive of open source. Interesting. We'll go through all of that. And then North Korean hackers, they they are the most successful hackers on stealing cryptocurrency. North Korean hackers have stolen $571 million worth of cryptocurrency in the last year. That's crazy. They're one of the most prolific. And, of course, this week we're going to feature the man who is co-founder and CEO of Yelp, Jeremy Stoppelman. And this week, of course, we had a huge, huge mailbag. Indeed we did. There's a letter in your (laughs) mailbox. We got an email from June in Burke. Doc, I need to send a, a phone service payment to a relative using my mobile phone. And they mentioned using Venmo. How safe is Venmo? Is there another mobile app that's safer? I've already realized that I don't want to put my bank account or debit card on one of those accounts. Maybe a, a virtual limited card to pay. And how safe is a bank app that uh, used to scan checks? Lots of mobile questions dealing with money. Any info you can give will be much appreciated. Listening to the podcast every week, June in Burke. Well, June, Venmo is a mobile payment service that's owned by PayPal. It allows you to transfer money to others using the service uh, and you using uh, using the mobile app. Now, now both the sender and the receiver have to be located in the United States. Now, it handled twelve billion dollars in transaction in the first quarter of 2018. In 2019. They uh, Venmo rolled out an instant transfer feature on Venmo. Now, this feature allows the funds to deposit um, to their debit card, typically within 30 minutes rather than days. It used to be that the transfers would take a few days, and it was possible to transfer money and then cancel it. And people said, no, I want to have the money transferred, and I want it to stick. So now they have this fast transfer method. If you want the fast transfer that goes in 30 minutes or less, 
it, there's a 25 cent fee that's deducted from the transfer amount. Now, if you use the standard bank transfer, uh, which is usually competed in one to three minutes, that's there's no fee for that. So Venmo is really set up to be kind of a faster PayPal. You see, Venmo includes social networking interaction. You can actually chat back and forth on it. It was created so that friends could quickly split bills when they're at a restaurant uh, or they want to split movies or split dinner or split rent or whatever they want to do. So Venmo, Venmo, I look at as the PayPal for millennials. You know, PayPal is sort of the old stodgy bank, and Venmo is the social networking and more that appeals to the younger group of folks. It's uh, June. It's actually quite safe. Venmo's got a good track record. PayPal's got a very good track record. If you set up a Venmo account, make certain to, to set up two-factor authentication because the real issue is somebody hacks your hack, gets your password, gets into the account, they could transfer money, and so you want to set up two-factor authentication for the Venmo account. That would be the uh, that would actually be the way to do that. Now, you can also transfer money using Zelle, Z-E-L-L-E. That's another one. Now, Zelle only works with banks. So, like, if you're with Bank of America and you want to transfer money to someone else, they use the Zelle system. So, Zelle is designed specifically to interface with bank mobile apps. So, Zelle is also quite a secure system. So, if you've got Bank of America or one of the other major banks, they will allow you to transfer money to someone directly. And uh, and th and they all most of them use the Zelle Z E L L E back end, so that's also fairly reliable. Now, as far as uh, you know, depositing checks with your mobile app, which is really convenient, that's uh, that's actually quite safe because you're actually putting money into the account. But I would say if you set up a, a mobile app set uh, for your bank account, set up two-factor authentication. So that anytime you log into your banking online banking account, it sends a, a code to your cell phone, and then you've got to put that code in in order to log on. I would never have any online banking without two-factor authentication, but these things have been quite, quite good. I've been I've been using PayPal for years, and it's linked linked to my account. I've never I've never had an issue. When when you actually link either PayPal or or Venmo to an account, they'll actually deposit like two or three cents or some random number of pennies, and you have to tell them exactly how much they deposit in the account to prove that that you have access to it. There's also kind of a prepaid feature where on these both all of these you could actually pre prepay them, and then and then when the prepaid amount runs out, they they, they can't do anything more. So they they're pretty safe. And I'd say the on ba online banking is really convenient because you can just deposit checks right away. We got an email from Don in Arlington. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm looking to buy a new car and really want to use my iPhone with Waze for navigation. When will it be available in new car offerings? Love the show, Don in Arlington. Well, Don, CarPlay is the Apple standard that enables a car radio or or entertainment unit to display your iPhone and also to act as a controller for the iPhone. It's available on all iPhone 5 and later models that have at least iOS 7.1 or later. Now, most CarPlay software runs on the connected phone. So you're basically using, so the Waze actually runs on the connected phone and it just basically, you just have it displayed in the car. The CarPlay 
interface provides audio and display connection to the infotainment system. CarPlay is controlled through the touchscreen if you've got a touchscreen on your car or through a rotary dial or through a trackpad or through buttons on the instrument cluster or the steering wheel. And you can control CarPlay and you can also control your phone. It's also easy to... So you can actually do navigation without touching your phone, which is really much safer. Now, most worldwide vehicle manufacturers have said they'll be incorporating CarPlay into their infotainment systems over time. According to Apple's website, all major vehicle manufacturers are partnering with CarPlay. Apple CarPlay is supported on more than 400 models through 2019. Some manufacturers began adapting CarPlay in 2016 with the biggest expansion in 2018. Even Lexus, which was a long-standing holdout, hmm. is going to adopt CarPlay in, for their 2019 models. Uh, in addition, now this is the good news, Waze had a recent update, and now Waze supports CarPlay. You see, there's a lot of politics going on here. The car manufacturers really delayed integrating CarPlay or Google Play into their, into their car because they wanted to own the navigation system. That was a highly, highly profitable item for them, and, so they, and they wanted to control the whole ecosystem. But eventually these mobile navigation apps have just taken over, and mobile navigation is so much better than the navigation in your car. I mean, I've got navigation in my Lexus. I don't even use it Show off. because it's so easy to do. To use it with Waze, you know. I love Waze. I know, I know Jim, you do. You're just, like, tweaking my last nerve over I here. Know, Jim, I can't Jim, stand Waze. Jim, Jim hates Waze, but that's okay. That's that's why I bring it up whenever I can. Yeah, I know, because <laughs> you're like my older brother who just likes to, you know. That's right. So now you can, there's a there's a link. You can go to the apple.com slash iOS slash CarPlay slash available models, and I'll have that link posted to the website in, in a day or two. Or you can just search for what what models are supported by Apple CarPlay. It'll take you right to that site, and you can get the whole list of models that are there. I know one thing: I'm not my next car is going to have CarPlay support because I'm tired of holding my iPhone while I'm trying to drive. Well, let me ask that. That, that <laughs> I begs the question: Are you looking for a new car? Well, it'll be a couple years. Oh, okay, no, what, I'm not looking right now. What but year is your car? It's I don't know. It's about a year old. It's only a year old? I, I, maybe it's That's a year. It? It's a year and a half old. Oh, okay. I don't know. Huh. I get. I get. The, listen, my car just. I get the same model and the same color, so it looks like I don't even get a new car. I. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, okay. So, well, that explains. So that. it looks like I never get a new car because for me it's just transportation. I understood. So, but you get the same car in the same color, so clearly that means something. That's to right. You. That that's exactly right. I, I like a good, reliable car, but I have well, really. Well, you do been, have a Lexus. If it's not reliable. No, it is reliable. Uh, no, I was going to say, if, if you had a Lexus that wasn't reliable, that would be a problem. That would be a problem. That's right. We got an email from Feroz in Fredericksburg. Dear Doc and Jim, I've been installing devices that connect to my Wi-Fi router, and they all have, seem to have this button called WPS. Mm -hmm. my, Wi-Fi my Wi-Fi router also has a WPS button. What's this button used for? You know, I push it and nothing happens. What's, uh, I'd like to figure it out. Love the show. Feroz in Fredericksburg. Well, WPA stands for Wi-Fi Protected Setup. Wi-Fi Protected Setup. It's a network security standard that to create a secure wireless home network. It was created by the Wi-Fi Alliance and introduced in 2006. So it's been around for a while. It's not like an old deal. Now, the goal of the protocol is to allow home users who don't know anything about wireless security, you know, to set up Wi-Fi devices. So this is the deal. 
When you set up a Wi-Fi device, it's going to connect to your router. Of course, you have to put in your Wi-Fi address, your Wi-Fi, you know, your network name and the password and all of that stuff. But with WPS, it's really nice. You simply push the WPS button on the device you want to hook to your Wi-Fi system and then go to the router and push the WPS. And then the router automatically sends the network address and the passwords all to that device, and you don't have to do anything. You just push the two devices, and it, and it, and it works perfectly. Now, on most devices, this discovery mode, which, which is what it is when you press the button, you open up discovery mode, and they find each other. On most devices, this discovery mode turns itself off after, uh, after about two minutes or less because while it's in that discovery mode, somebody else could hook onto your network. So you, so you don't want it to stay on indefinitely. Now, during that setup, all the network information, including passwords and nectar name, are transferred to the device automatically. So that's really a nice feature to have, and um, I really like it. We got an email from Jeff in Gaithersburg. Dear Tech Talk, I've got Wi-Fi dead spots uh, in my house, and I'd like to fix them. Is there a way to extend my network without spending too much money? Enjoy the show, Jeff in Gaithersburg. Well, Jeff, you got several options. You could, uh, ranging from directional antennas, you could get a range extender or you could get a second router. Now, I've tried them all at one time or another because I just like to try stuff. Now, I think your easiest option is probably a range extender. Range extenders have gotten better over the years and now are really, really easy to set up. Now, when you choose a range extender, you want to get one that matches your router spec. So, for instance, you've got a dual-band router. You want to make certain you get a dual-band range extender. That would be so you support both the 5.8 gigahertz band as well as the 2.4 gigahertz band. Now, if your router supports multi-user, multiple input, multiple output, that's called MU, MIMO, <laughs> data streaming, which is really nice because it will, it will stream data to multiple people at the same time simultaneously instead of sequentially. And so it's much better if you've got a lot of people playing games or watching movies in the house. And most of the more expensive routers support this multiple user, multiple input. So if you've got multiple user, multiple input support on your browser, on your uh, router, make certain to get that on the, on the extender device. Now, there are two types of range extenders out there. One is a desktop. Another one's a plug-in. Now, the desktop's kind of big, and it's got USB ports. It's got, it's got additional Ethernet ports. It almost looks like another router, and it sits on the desktop. They're more expensive. Or you can get little small units that just plug in the wall, and, um, and they're, they're much smaller. And they might only have one Ethernet connection in them, and, they're very mu and they don't have any USB connections. I would recommend you just get one of those plug-in units that just, just goes in the wall. And they're, um, they're, they're, they're actually pretty good now. Most of today's routers support this WPS mode, Wi-Fi protected mode status, and so it's really simple. You just <laughs> so you'll plug in your 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 Wi-Fi extender, you'll push the WPS button on the Wi-Fi extender, then go to your router and push the WPS button, and bingo, your extender set up. Now there, now in terms of pricing, if you want a two-band range extender that supports multiple input, multiple output, they're about $100 to $125. If you want a two-band range extender without multiple input, multiple output, they're in the $50 to $75 range. Netgear and TP-Link range extenders are PC Magazine's editor's choice. Now, here's one problem. The range extender, it sets up basically a slightly different network name. So when you're walking around the house, you'll have the network name for your base router, 
And then if you go into the extended area, you've got to connect to a different Wi-Fi network. So, and you have to do that manually. It doesn't just switch off. So, so they have invented something called a mesh network where there's just one network name over the whole house. And so you could, so if you're, if you're planning just to throw out everything, you know, this is the most expensive, you know, throw out your router, throw out everything, you could actually get a mesh network. But then you're going to be spending three to five hundred dollars for this. And mesh networks, you know, you could have one node, which wouldn't be a mesh. Then you could add, <laughs> then you could add two nodes, which would be the minimum mesh. You could add three nodes, and you could keep adding nodes, and they mesh together. And the beauty is that they automatically configure, and it's one network name. And as you walk around the house, the the mesh figures out how to transfer you from one node to the next as, as as one goes out of range and another one comes in range. So mesh networks are really convenient, but I'm thinking in your case, you're just going to want to get a, a cheap extender, and just when you're in the in the dead spot zone, just, just attach to the to network name of the extender. Now, if you want to get one, one of the nicest mesh networks, by the way, is Google Wi-Fi, and it's around $130 a node. So every time you get another node, you spend $130. That is really easy to set up. It got great reviews. Now there are other mesh networks that, that got even better reviews than Wi-Fi than Google Wi-Fi, but they're a little bit expensive. They've got Linksys, TP-Link, and Netgear. These are all three other brands that do that that work pretty well, and they're between three and five hundred dollars for two or three nodes. You see, so I mean, the most expensive Linksys there for uh, for three nodes. It's $500, so you're just throwing out everything. Mm -hmm. If you want to get three nodes, probably the cheapest three-node deal is going to be your Google Wi-Fi, which would be which would be $390 for three nodes, or two nodes might be enough. But the nice thing is you can just pick what you want. So there you go. I'm thinking you should get a range extender, but if you want to go whole hog, go for the mesh. So it's funny that uh, you should be bringing this up. If you st if you started using your mesh network on on Halloween, would it be called a monster mesh? It could be. It could be a monster mesh. Um, it's funny that this question comes up because I happen to see something on TV in passing it the uh, mm -hmm. last week, a commercial from uh, Xfinity that they're now offering these X5 pods. Uh, mm -hmm. that, so if you were still just using your Xfinity box. Uh -huh. You could buy a pod, a pack of these three pods, which you just plug in little mm -hmm. things uh, that go into the, your your electric sockets. One hundred nineteen bucks for a pack of these three things. That's not a bad for that's three not, for three of for them. For three, yeah, that's not bad. But you know what? It, <coughs> what it doesn't say in the specs here is whether or not it uh, it covers both bands. But yeah. I suspect the Xfinity Wi-Fi is not is 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 the older so, band, right? So the so the key is throughput. Because mm -hmm. the, the 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 cheap so those that's that's that that sounds like a mesh network if they've got three nodes, but the thing is there are some really cheap meshes out there that don't have much throughput, mm -hmm. and so what you want to do you've really got to look at the specs uh, if you're planning if you got people in the house who are going to be streaming video you you, you want to get sufficient throughput to handle that yeah this is mesh this is a me that's what they're saying it here. sounds like uh -huh. it's a mesh and so then it all depends on the specs interesting and whether it supports multiple input multiple output so you can have multi so there that all depends on the specs it sounds to me like at that price it's kind of a it's kind of a minimum do you, delivery do except you know the what? thing is it's no but they might give it to you cheap because it's tied to Xfinity. Right. So if you dump them as a carrier, you have to throw away your whole mesh. And so it's a way to lock you in. Exactly. So do you, do you know what a good capacity is? Uh, 
What I I don't know. I, uh, good. Well, this, I mean, this is this this means nothing. It says Wi-Fi capacity AC twelve hundred. I have no idea what that means. That's AC twelve hundred. I don't know what. Let's, I'm going to do a little homework while you do take, yeah. take the next. Uh, I, that uh, sounds like a model number more than anything. See, AC those those are like. Two I know, but it but the, it says it says specs color white Wi-Fi capacity AC twelve hundred. Let me so, go check this so out. Okay? So AC those those are. The eleven eight oh two dot eleven A eleven oh two dot eleven C those are two specs. So they're saying that those are the two standards that it supports. Those those are the two standards that it supports. Uh, but that's not necessarily the core the actual transfer capacity for the device. But you'll have to see. So that might be a good marketing ploy for them. They they really give you a good mesh and then they they lock you in. It said well. Who knows? Okay, continue on. I, let okay. me, let me, I'll look into this. We got an email from John in Bethesda. Dear Tech Talk, I own an HP inkjet printer, and print cartridges are just too expensive. Well, that is the truth, John. I tried to refill my ink cartridges to save money, and now my printer's rejecting them. Then I tried to buy cheaper jet cartridges that were new from other companies, and my print printer rejected them too is there anything i can do to save money on these printers i'm frustrated love the show john and bethesda well print manufacturers hate third-party ink cartridges or refilled ink cartridges because they make the bulk of their profit on these printers from the ink cartridges so epson and hp issued sneaky updates and they and they made it so that their Printers will not accept cheaper cartridges to force you to buy their expensive ones. HP pioneered this technique back in 2016. It rolled out an alleged security update to OfficeJet and OfficeJet Pro printers, but that activated a new feature that said anytime you start printing, it checks to see whether you're using it. It's a competitor's ink cartridge or a refilled HP ink cartridge, and if it's one of, either one of those, the printing would stop. Because HP said, we want to protect you from faulty hardware. Mm -hmm. They said it was a feature. And the only way to be protected against faulty hardware is to buy genuine HP ink cartridges at our exorbitant price. Of course. Now, in, uh, in, our, in late 2016, Epson sent out the same deceptive update to many of its printers. And just like HP, Epson disguised this update as a routine software improvement. But they're really poison pills designed to downgrade the printer so it can only take the Epson expensive ink systems. So the cheapest way to print at home is to actually get a laser jet, and then you can get toner cartridges, and that is a lot less per page. And then if you want to print, like, color photos, you could, you, could, you could either use a photo printing service rather than buy an expensive photo printer. That might be a way to operate it, but... That is one of the disadvantages of inkjets. They sell the printers really cheap, but you you pay for it on the back end. Okay, I, can I do yes. this real fast? Mm -hmm. So, so th th it says uh, apparently there are two different standards here. There's AC versus N. Yeah. Okay. So okay, right. So it says Wi-Fi is always promoted as using the theoretical speeds, and it's by the standard uh, 802.11 AC is capable about 1300 megabits per second, which is the equivalent of 162.5 megabytes uh, per second. Three times faster than the end. So AC is way faster. Than so here's the deal. that those They're giving you the theoretical limits of the standard. They're not telling you the speed of the mesh. Ah. The one thing they're not telling you is the question we want to know. How close is the mesh speed you know, to the theoretical standard speed on the... Uh, on the uh, 
you know, on the standard. And that's why you're here. So the thing is, what they gave you was absolute double talk. That's why you're here. See, and so thank you for clearing that up. So the thing is, so so what they're saying theoretically, it could be really fast. That's right. It's like saying your 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 broadband connection at home is theoretically a gigabit per second, Mm -hmm. but really it's 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 like one tenth that. Mm -hmm. So it's theoretical, uh, but it's not really. What do you have with multiple users streaming video? And so and so the real mesh networks that people actually you know stress them out and make measurements. So the so the mesh networks that I gave you uh, got very good reviews when they were actually stressed out. Now X, this Xfinity could be could be a good mesh network. It's just that they didn't prove it with that spec. And uh, so this Xfinity thing may not be that good. You don't know. You don't know until you buy it. You don't know, but but then you're locked into Xfinity. So if you ever decide to change your uh, carrier. You're, you're stuck. You're stuck because you, you you got the Xfinity junk. Deal. It's all junk. So well, I don't know if it's I'm junk. Joking. I don't know if it's junk, but it's a very clever way to lock you in. Mm-hmm. So it could be a, a good program for Xfinity. There he is, Doctor Shirts. Listen, we love your it. emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning. You're listening <clears throat> to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2. Be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Jeremy Stoppelman. Jeremy Stoppelman is best known as co-founder and CEO of Yelp. Now, Stoppelman was born November 10, 1977 in Arlington, Virginia. He's a local boy. He spent his early childhood in Arlington before his family moved to McLean. His middle school Moving was, on up. His, his middle school was next to CIA headquarters. His dad had a Packard Bell 8088 computer. That he he had done a job for someone and they couldn't pay the bill, so they said, "Well, just just <laughs> take the computer. Just take the computer." <laughs> and and Jeremy was not was not allowed to touch this computer. Oh. So when his dad was off at work, 
Jeremy would go in there and tinker around with the Packard Bell 8088 without permission. Uh, and he, he actually created a few problems uh, at times for his dad. Uh, but finally, his dad decided to get him his own personal computer, an Omega Amiga 2000. Was that a good computer? I don't even remember. No, it was. Uh, <laughs> it was a piece of junk. It was. Yeah. Well, back then it was. I mean, it was, back then it was probably a big deal, but now we'd look at it as a piece of junk. Mm-hmm. He got an Amiga 2000 when he was in the 10th grade. Now, he aspired to be a video game developer. That was his dream. Mm-hmm. So he took class. He took uh, some computer programming classes in high school, and he learned Turbo, Turbo Pascal. Which is a, um, a scripting language. It's a. It's. A, I mean, it's. A, that's a not a bad first language to learn. He was also interested in business because his dad actually did legal work to help companies go public. So at fourteen, he opened up his own Schwab account and bought <laughs> stocks. He bought stocks with the money he earned mowing lawns and picking up pine cones. Apparent. I've never heard of like a, a pine cone business. I. Well, you know, well, if maybe, you were really maybe working in, maybe on in it, McLean, there they've got a lot of pine trees. Th- they do, but maybe he was, uh, you know, these things are big during the holidays. It's got a little roadside stand, sell people your pine it cones. Could they could make decorations out. He could of, pick up know. pine cones. He could sell pine cones. Yeah, he could burn them. That's I guess. right. I don't so know. So he he went to University of Illinois uh, in Urbana. He was interested in both finance and engineering. See what what he thought. He said, you know, the finance guys. He thought looked like they were having fun. <laughs> and he thought the engineering guys are just always grinding away and working on their homework. But he still chose engineering, and he graduated with a BSEE in 1999. Um, after graduating, it took a job at the At Home Network, which that was it's basically an, 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 an internet service provider. Not affiliated with the Home Shopping Network, no, I don't believe. No, no, no. It's, it's like an ISP, internet. And so he was, he was basically, you know, doing internet, setting up doing some back-end work on this Internet service provider, and, and he said he hated that job. And he'd go there. He's, you know, he'd, he'd finish his work, you know, give him some work. He'd finish it at 11 o'clock, and his, he'd go in to say what, tell his boss, I, I don't have anything more to do. And his boss said, well, come back at 5 o'clock. And he'd go back at 5 o'clock, and his, bo- his boss went home. So, <laughs> so, he, so he said his, his entire four months at the at-home network, he was constantly on the phone with recruiters. Now, uh-huh. after four months, he finally... He's trying to find himself a job. Look at this. After uh-huh. four months, he finally snagged himself an interview with, guess who? Elon Musk. Wow. This was when Elon Musk was CEO of X.com, and X.com later became PayPal. Okay, so how do you like that? He, That's th- pretty this wild. Guy, this guy, right after high school, right after college, interviewed by Elon Musk, and... And, and he'd never met anybody as dynamic as that. And, and everybody there at, at X.com when he went there, they were all young, young, renegade, young renegades ready to change the world. I mean, and they told Elon and the, the, said, and the group said, our goal is to put Visa, MasterCard, and American Express out of business. And it was just this group of like five guys. And so they, that was their goal. And so Eva said, wow, that looks like a lot of fun. So they so he was the third engineer hired by hired by uh, by PayPal. Hmm. It was originally X.com. So he he uh, he 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 was there and uh, and he met uh, the one of the investors on PayPal was Max Le- Levchin, Max Levchin, and he met him and and that was a very fortuitous uh, connection because Max was a big a big investor in technology. 
Now, Stoppelman, even though he was so young, became VP of engineering at PayPal. And he's one of, since he was one of PayPal's early employees, he was in a group that sometimes referred to as the PayPal Mafia. <laughs> See, the, a lot of the big Silicon Valley guys now are part, were part of the PayPal Mafia. That's where, you know, that's where, that's where Elon Musk, for instance, made his first money, and Thielman made his first money. After it was acquired by eBay in 2003, so he was only there for four years, mm -hmm. he, he quit. And then he decided to go back to school, so he went to Harvard Business School, and his intention was there to get an MBA. But while he was at Harvard Business School, Levchin said, hey, why don't you come and work for my incubator, MRL Ventures, and I've got an incubator here. So, so he said, okay. I'll, and so then he, he still intended to go back and finish business school because, you know, he never really – he liked business from the very beginning. But, uh, but then he went to the incubator – and in 2004, one uh, in the winter, and so, and what, Lev, what Levchin said, he said, look, you guys are bright. Uh, you just keep working on stuff until you get some good idea. And so he just went to the incubator to try to, you know, think of stuff. And it turned out in 2004, while he was sitting there trying to be so smart, thinking about stuff, he got the flu. And then he wanted to get a recommendation for a local doctor, and he started looking around. He couldn't find any place where he could get ratings on doctors, hmm. recommendations for doctors. And so that gave him the idea. We need some place where he can get recommendations, or he can, or he can ask a friend to give you a recommendation. So it ended up he, he went and just talked to friends, and, and he, got, he got a recommendation from friends uh, for a doctor. And he says, why don't we get a website where you ask a friend – to give you a recommendation. So they set up, a, so they went to, um, so he teamed up with one of his PayPal colleagues, one of, you know, one of the other mafia guys who was uh, Russell Simmons. And then they went to Levchin and they said, hey, we've got this great idea where you ask a friend to give you a recommendation. And Levchin says, well, I don't know if that's going to really be a good business, but I kind of have confidence in you two guys making something happen. So I'll give you a million dollars in initial funding to get this thing going. So, they start working on Boom. it. Boom. So they and so the site allowed for people to sort of ask for a recommendation. But what they discovered, <clears throat> which was kind of interesting, people just wanted to write recommendations even if they weren't asked. And you well, see, that's weird. And their website wasn't set up where you could just so then they decided so because they noticed people were doing a kind of a workaround and they were getting people to ask them so they could write recommendations. So then they read so they pivoted. They said, you know, actually Asking a friend for a recommendation is maybe the wrong idea. Maybe we should just have a site where you make a recommendation without being asked. So they re, re, they changed the entire site, and they focused it on making recommendations fun to write. And that was the whole, that was the whole beginning of uh, Yelp. And, and it turned out that that was the winning formula. They figured out how to make crowdsourced recommendations work. And this is the first site that had done it. Elon, Elon Musk said this was really a great uh, business because Elon said he had tried to do a similar thing, but he didn't get the recommendation formula right, so his didn't, didn't take off. But this took off. They got it right. Yelp grew to a market capitalization of $4 billion hmm. and hosted 138 million user reviews. In 2012, oh, then in, in, interestingly enough, Google wanted to buy them because Google does not like competition. 
So, you know, especially in this whole recommendation space. So they tried to buy them. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> and Stoppelman got a phone call from uh, none other than Steve Jobs, who hated Google in 2010. And Steve Jobs said, don't let Google buy you out. You stay independent. Because, of course, Steve Jobs hated Google because they, he feels like they stole the whole iPhone idea from mm -hmm. him, the, the whole smartphone thing. And um, it turned out that Stoppelman said he'd already turned down the Google offer before he got the call from Steve Jobs. But he just said getting a call from Steve Jobs at home was a big Pretty deal. Pretty wild, yeah, yeah, of course. It was a big deal. So in 2012, two years after the Google offer, Yelp issued an IPO, initial public offering, and they went public on the New York Stock Exchange. And it's just been up, up, it's just going up ever since. Now, the biggest challenge, according to Stoppelman, that Yelp has are in two areas and is where business owners sue reviewers who leave negative reviews. Uh, and, and he's trying to he's trying to protect the reviewers so business owners don't have recourse. But he said that is a big problem. And this because you also might have somebody who writes negative reviews just to hurt a, co a competitor. Exactly. So right. You, so you have to you have to take the fine line. What's a real review? And what's a fake review? And so and so that that was a big problem that they're still grappling with. And the second problem that he's had is allegations by by uh, by Yelp members that Yelp favors people who advertise with them because uh. businesses and say if we advertise, then you'll you'll give us better mm -hmm. rankings and you'll push the negative reviews down. And and he said Yelp doesn't do that. They they, they want to keep this this whole this whole site, you know clean and and above board but nobody believes it so he said those are his two biggest challenges now he's got a hands-on management style he's got a desk among among his employees he doesn't like an office you know who else does that who michael bloomberg oh yeah it makes sense yeah he, he at bloomberg at his big financial thing uh -huh. he has a de desk right on the floor yeah it makes a lot of sense and uh he also he's he also he learned something at PayPal that certainly worked. All of his direct reports is a one-on meeting with them every week. He sits down there and just talks to them about what's going on. He said, and he feels that listening to people and hearing their problems, whether they're personal or professional, just keeps the whole business humming. Mm -hmm. Now, his est the estimated net worth of Stoppelman in October of 2018 is around 161 million dollars. He makes around 10 million a year as CEO of Yelp. Now the thing is, in 2012, his net worth was around 212 million dollars. So it's uh, dropped. so Yelp has gone down in value. He he owns he owns. Back in 2012, he owned around 11 percent of Yelp because he had to sell off percentages of it, uh, you know, in order to get the venture capital money. Mm -hmm. And last year there was a big controversy. They actually had misreported their earnings on an earnings call, and the stock went up to 34 dollars a share. And right after the stock went up, he sold 20% of his stock <laughs> for around $50 million. Mm -hmm. And then they did issued a correction. And then the stock dropped from 34 to 27. And so, and so there, all the stockholders who bought stock between the initial report and the correction are filing for damages. Oh, and, and he said that was not really intentional, that that was a plan, blah, blah, blah. What so, do you think? 
I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> well, so do you think Yelp has peaked? Do you think it's uh, it's it's now not not such a big thing anymore? Or? Yeah, it's it's you know it's going down in value. So now it's a matter of how can they capitalize? How can they make money? Uh, well, is it time for maybe to sell it? Yeah. So he's uh, uh, you know. I don't know. I, I actually I use Yelp for whenever I go. Like if I'm traveling and I want to look for a restaurant, mm-hmm. it's pretty convenient for me because I, I can go to an area. Yelp will give me all the restaurants in the area. Then I can read reviews before I even walk in, and so that has been useful. That's good because uh, because the the reviews I, I I do trust the reviews on Yelp. I, I I think they figured a way to get rid of the fake reviews like you've got on Amazon. Yeah. Like on Amazon, if if there are fewer than say a hundred reviews, I'm gonna assume all hundred are fake. Mm-hmm. But if they've got say sixteen thousand reviews, I'm yeah. gonna th- I, I'm thinking that you know maybe maybe a thousand are fake, but I'm th- I'm thinking that the bulk of them are real. Mm-hmm. So I try mm-hmm. to look for things that have a lot of reviews. So there gotcha. you go. Everything you wanted to know about Jeremy Stoppelman, the co-founder and CEO of Yelp. Hope you were paying attention because the information we just provided you could put food on your table, free lunch, if you answer the pop quiz question correctly. Coming up here on Tech Talk Radio, part of the Federal Radio uh, News Network uh, uh, format here at federalnewsnetwork.com. 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2 and 103.9 FM HD2. Stand by. We will be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ. Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Hi, 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. you they, can, they're behaving today. Uh, they I think are. it's cold out or something. I think they're well. See, they have their coats on even in here in the it's studio. It's hard to clap. It is very hard to clap. But they're, they're well-behaved audience, and they're you know they're, I think Mr. Big Voice has stayed away from them, so they and are maintaining proper behavior. There may be a parting gift. There now, of not. course, this is not simply a radio show. No. It's a classroom of the airways, and if you get the right answer. To a pop quiz to prove that you've been listening in class, you'll get an A-plus for the session, plus you'll win some tickets to one of our fine dining operations. Now, earlier in the show, I was talking about Jeremy Stoppelman. He, of course, a local boy from Arlington, Virginia, and then McLean, Virginia. He's co-founder of Yelp. Well, before he founded Yelp, he was hired by X.com, which became PayPal, who interviewed him at X.com. If for you that know job. the answer to today's question, well, you know the drill. Pick up your phone and give us a call. If you're dialing from west to the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're tinkering with your Packard Bell 8088 in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. And of course, the always troublesome international line, 8779-3639-333 or 1-800 if you have a phone, you have a lawyer. And now once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. And of course, if you want to reach us uh, in a secure way, if, yeah. you're, if you're calling from the basement of your house and don't want any record of this call, yes. you can reach us on Skype. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1 and your call will be forwarded to the, free, forwarded to the studio free of charge in a fully encrypted format. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, is standing by to take your call, so dial now. Actually, Andrew is off today. He's probably either uh, on an African safari or ice fishing in Greenland. I'm not sure which. So Brian Alban is sitting in for him today. Very good. Let's talk about the app of the week, Be My Eyes. Now, Be My Eyes helps people who are blind or visually impaired see things with the help of sighted volunteers and the video cameras on their iPhone. Through a direct video link, the app gives blind people the opportunity to ask a sighted volunteer for help for, for tasks that require normal vision. Like somebody might say, is this a, a, a pink blouse or a blue blouse? And they can't tell. Or they might say, what is the expiration date on this milk? Is it, is it, is it expired or not? That might be two simple answers. So the person who's blind borrows the helper's eyes through his or her smartphone. The sighted helper is able to see and describe what the blind person is showing the sighted helper by filming it with his video camera on the smartphone. That way, by working together, they're able to solve the problem that the blind person is facing. Now, the Be My Eyes app is free, and it's available at the Google or the Apple App Store. The idea behind Be My Eyes originated from a Danish 50-year-old furniture craftsman, Hans Jorgen Weiberg. He started losing his vision when he was 25, and and he started calling up his friends and getting help. You know, he'd call up his friends, and, and, and he would use his phone and show them a picture, and he would get help. And, and gradually it became burdensome to always bother the same people. So we got the idea of, uh, of developing this app. So we got a friend that helped them put it together. As of October 2018, Be My Eyes has 97,000 blind registrants. Now, this is the amazing thing. There are 1.6 million sighted volunteers who want to help. 
See, in, initially, he didn't think he could get people who would want to help. Huh. So, and it turned out that sighted volunteers love to do it because you, you, you just feel good when you help yeah, someone. Yeah, sure, absolutely. And you don't, you, it just, it's just sort of this idea you help someone else, you, you, you get a good feeling. Now, I registered for Have it. Have you? Yeah, it was really easy to register, and I'm waiting for my first phone call. They said it might take a couple of weeks to get your first phone call because they have so many volunteers. And, yeah. And, and the thing is, if you're busy when the call comes through, uh, they they send out the call like to to five or six volunteers at once. And, and whoever first, picks it up, whoever first. picks it. So if you, so if you can't get the call, it's okay. Somebody else will get it. There you go. There okay. You go. All right. We have uh, somebody who'd like to play our okay. little game. Let's go to the wild card line. This is Ken, who's calling us from Maryland. Good morning, Ken. How are you, sir? Fine. Very good, Doctor oh, Schertz. Yeah, earlier, yeah, earlier in the show, Ken, I talked about Jeremy Stoppelman, co-founder and CEO of Yelp. Who interviewed him for his job there at X.com and ultimately, that ultimately became PayPal? It was uh, Elon Musk. That is correct. That is correct. Ken, excellent. Very good job. Hang on the phone here. We're going to put you on hold and send you back to Brian. He's going to take your information and we will send the prize right out to you forthwith. It's Saturday morning and you are listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is indeed uh, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network here at uh, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2. I forgot to promote this this morning. You can watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. Tech Talk will return in just one moment. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. The Apple Watch link to the Jamal Khashoggi killing is very unlikely. We know this Jamal Khashoggi has been missing since October 2nd after visiting the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, and the Turkish government says they have a recording of his execution there in the, in the, uh, in the consulate. And the story's been going around that this was recorded by Khashoggi's Apple Watch. Now, what they said, and this was reported in the Turkish paper Sabah, Sabah said that Khashoggi turned on his Apple Watch recording facility before entering the consulate and then said, 
it, that recorded his interrogation and ultimately killing. And, and the recordings were sent to his iPhone, which his fiance received standing outside the consulate. And once it came to an iPhone, it went up to the Apple iCloud, and the Turkish in intelligence says, okay, that's where we got the recording. Now, the report says that, um, you know, that they, that they spotted his watch and they tried to gain access to it by guessing his passcode. And then they finally used his fingerprint to unlock it, and then they deleted some but not all the files. Now, actually, Wait, they used Khashoggi's fingerprint to, yeah. after he was dead. Yeah, how'd they do that? Well, you just push it on it. Oh, so it this works. Was this before or after they cut his hands off? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know whether Jeez. I don't know, but it or they could have done it while he was still alive. Yeah, but here's the here's the here's why this the whole thing is just a lie. Uh -huh. The first discrepancy: the Apple Watch does not use Touch ID. Uh, really? First okay. of all, so fingerprint access would have been impossible. Okay, so, so that's point number one is wrong. The second thing is that recording function does not come built into the device, and that there are a number of. But so you have to download a third party app, mm -hmm. and it records it on the iPhone, but it doesn't upload it or transfer it until you turn off the recording. And once it's turned off, it's uploaded. So that means that after he had been killed, he, he would, couldn't turn it off. He would have to turn it <laughs> off, and then it would be uploaded. Now the third discrepancy is it's uh, you know if you connect to a to uh, to an iPhone, you need a Bluetooth connection, and there were multiple walls between where his fiance was standing and where he was in the consulate. It's highly unlikely that Bluetooth could have handled that range. Mm -hmm. So for these three reasons, it doesn't make sense. Now some people have said, well, yeah, maybe it was a direct cellular network. And it didn't have to go to the iPhone. But it turns out that the iPhone has regional um, regional releases for different cell phone frequencies around the world. Because, you know, all the countries don't use the same frequencies. Sure. Now, the iPhone supports all frequencies, but the Apple Watch has three regional releases. And it turns out that there's not a single carrier in Turkey that supports the Apple Watch. Interesting. So this LTE connection wasn't wasn't real really real at all wow. so here's what people believe they believe that turkey had bugged the consulate and they were using the apple watch as cover for the fact that there were active bugs in the consulate because they didn't want their the, the presence of their bugs to be so known. do we think that there actually is video of this via the bugs or, or <clears throat> i think I, I think there's audio of it we're probably never going to know I think there's I think there's audio I think they do have audio but they but they don't want to release the audio because it it will tell them exactly what, what happened. No, we'll we'll tell them about their bug. They don't want to let the the oh. Saudis know that that the, that the consulate's been bugged. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying the, the the Saudis probably suspect it now. Probably so. Because the, so the Apple Watch thing is just and, is just covered. But we probably never <laughs> will know the truth to this like so many other things uh, out it's there. It's going to be it's going to be uh, a long drawn out thing. We probably won't know the truth. That's right. Here's the idea of the week, hurricane damage assessment imagery online. From October 11th to October 14th, the National Geodetic Survey collected 9,500 aerial damage assessment images covering 4,100 square miles in the aftermath of, Michael, of Hurricane Michael. Now, the imagery was collected in areas that were identified by NOAA in coordination with FEMA. The collected images were then available to be reviewed online. I mean, this is, this is the new thing. The, they were viewed online. 
So that meant that homeowners could go online. They could look at what happened to their house. They don't have to drive home. Mm -hmm. And so that was extremely. So I went to this imagery. Yeah, you can actually. And they've got before and after shots. It's crazy. It's it's um, devastating. Yeah. It's devastating, but this imagery online, and they were they were basically going, they were updating the images on a 12-hour cycle, and so they were going through, and people could go in there and check on the images, but the you know the uh, the um, the you know the the devastation is just enormous when you look at these things. Now, one interesting thing, since the public could look at this, there was this one house that <clears throat> was heavily damaged, and the people and were people trapped in it. And they went out in their front yard and they put log, they put logs and wood together and they spelled out help in the front yard. And then someone who was just looking at the imagery saw the help sign. They called up the rescue squad and showed them where it was on the, on the imagery. <clears throat> and the rescue squad went and rescued these folks. And they, they didn't know they were there. And so there was a, there was a rescue that was facilitated with this uh, damage assessment imagery. So that's the idea of the week, and I think that's a great idea. Yeah, really. Now, Apple users can now download all their data. And this they can download every piece of data that Apple has on them. This feature has been available in the European Union since May, thanks to that Data Protection Act that they have over there. And now they've decided to bring the same uh, features to the U.S., and now that means that already Google and Facebook have brought it to U.S. users, actually probably stimulated by the EU uh, GDPR law, and now we've got Facebook added to things. So if you want to do this thing, you go to face, you go to Apple's data and privacy page, and there you'll be prompted to log in with your Apple ID. Then you can choose under Get a Copy of Your Data. Just click on Get Started, and then you'll see a screen that says Get a Copy of Your Data. From there, you can select which data you want to have included in your package, then you'll be asked for the maximum file size for your data package. And that depends on how big of a file size your, you know, your email can take. And, and it will spread it across all of that. And then just click and download and you'll get it. And so you'll have all the data that you'll ever want. Listen, mm -hmm. we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. And we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And go to the Stratford University website. That would be stratford.edu. Take a look at the programs there. Tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio and let them know that you love Tech Talk Radio. Indeed, and if you love it so much you would uh, like to hear it again or if you missed it earlier, uh, you can hear the replay today here at 12 noon on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. See you next week. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. 
Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.